WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to The Sci-Files, an Impact 89 FM series focusing on student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts Chelsea Boudou and Daniel Puentes. You all may have just recently heard our episode with Lexi Nodowski about the genetics of sex in electric fish. Today, though, we're talking to Lexi about her other research project, which is focusing on diversity, equity, inclusion in academia, but also how COVID-19 has impacted this. I'll let Lexi tell us more about this, though. Hi, Lexi. Thanks for joining us again. Can you please tell us about this other research project that you're working on? Hi, it's so great to be back. Thank you for having me again. So my other project that I'm working on is called Climbs Up, and it has a very long acronym, but essentially what our project works on is studying diversity, equity, and inclusion in workplace climate for early career scholars in academia. So that's grad students, postdoctoral scholars, and assistant professors. We have done this through a huge survey of over 124 schools all across the United States. And we've just been learning more about the research environments that these individuals are working in. And all of them are in STEM fields as well. We investigated four STEM fields, economics, physics, biology, and psychology. We're just trying to get a better understanding of all of the factors that are at play within their research group, their workplace climate, their field, their department, and how that affects their career outcome and whether or not they decide to stay in academia. Thanks for joining us again back on the show, Lexi. What people often forget is that Chelsea and I are actually both grad students ourselves, but not many people are familiar with what the difference is between grad students versus postdocs and how they even differentiate that with faculty. Could you talk a little bit about what those different roles are in higher education? Absolutely. So a graduate student is someone who has already finished their undergrad. They have a bachelor's in science or a bachelor of arts, and they could either be working on a master's degree or a PhD. Um, A postdoctoral scholar or a postdoc for short is exactly what it sounds like. It is after you've earned that PhD, so post your doctoral degree, after you've earned that. And then an assistant professor is after you've completed your postdoc, which I guess I should go back and explain postdoc a bit more, that after you do your PhD, someone would typically go and get a bit more research experience working in a lab for maybe another year or two after grad school. And then at that point, once they've completed their postdoc years, then they're going to join the faculty of a university. And that is when they would become an assistant professor. So they all essentially are doing the same thing. You're getting more research experience. You're getting to develop your research interests more and work on projects. But it's just those different stepping stones between school and when you're joining faculty. What really caught my attention in the beginning was that you said that you distributed the survey to over 130 schools. That's a lot of schools. How are you able to distribute this? Like, did you have people help you with email lists and stuff like that? And also, were you looking at the demographics of the people you were surveying? Yeah, absolutely. So we didn't look at demographics beforehand necessarily because we wanted to get pretty good understanding of what those demographics actually look like in different universities across the country. So we didn't want to use any like selection bias in determining which schools we were going to survey. 
But in terms of building this database and distributing the survey, myself and another undergrad, Erica Hawkins, who goes here as well, and a postdoc on our study as well, the three of us spent months and months last year just going through all of these different department directories for schools all across the United States. We searched through the department directories for as I mentioned before, four STEM fields, um, biology, psychology, physics, and economics. And we chose those four fields because they all have different levels of representation of women and people of color and racial minorities in their departments generally. So for example, psychology is a STEM field that is predominated by women, typically I think it's about 75% of people earning psychology degrees are female identifying, whereas another field such as physics, typically less than 25%, I believe, people that earn physics degrees are female. So we got a pretty good spread between those four fields of different levels of representation of women and racial minorities. And then from there, within those four fields, We chose 30 different departments from a different array of regions and prestige levels, public and private universities, different levels of funding from all over the United States. So we're trying to get a good feel of all these different departments with all of these factors at play just to really see what the field is like overall for all four of these STEM fields. So then once we identified the schools and departments that we wanted to send the survey to, I spent a lot more time reaching out to all of these departments independently. I had to email the dean of every department and then eventually had to set up phone calls with all of them as well, just so that we could get clearance to email faculty and graduate students and postdocs in their departments and get lists of participants that would possibly be able to take our survey. So that was another challenge, trying to get all of these deans and administrators to actually agree to send us this information and take part in our survey. After all of that was said and done, we got over 130 schools to participate, and then we ended up distributing our survey via email with a huge data set of over 35,000 possible participants that were eligible to take the survey. So a lot of people. I'm sure I can already predict what some of the results are going to be, for example, for different physics departments. But I'll let you explain the data later on in the interview, of course. You said that you're looking at four different areas of study, biology, economics, physics, and psychology. Why did you pick those in particular? So yeah, as I mentioned a bit in my previous answer, those four fields are fairly representative of different types of sciences within STEM. So physics and biology are more like natural sciences, whereas psychology is a social science and economics is more of like the math, bringing that into there. And the four of them also have vastly different levels of representation of females and racial minorities in their fields as well. So we wanted to survey these different fields so that we could see how the climate in the workplace changes between a field such as psychology that's predominated by females and racial minorities in their field versus physics, whereas 
the field is predominated mostly by white men and Asian individuals and levels of females and other racial minorities, such as Black and Hispanic individuals, are vastly underrepresented. So we wanted to see the differences between and who makes up the workplace, how that affects how individuals perceive their workplace and how they're treated by others based on the, like, the representation levels within that field. Well, I got to say, I'm only a little bit disappointed that engineering isn't one of the fields of study simply because I'm an engineer. But no, in all seriousness, I see why you chose those topics. Like you said before, there are many more men than women in physics. However, something I've had in conversations with many women who are underrepresented in STEM is that some of them who have been, let's say, burned by academia don't want to stay in academia, yet others really do want to stay to make it better. How do you distinguish in your survey if people want to stay in academia, whether they've had a bad experience or not? So we actually had a whole set of questions addressing this, because that is a major problem, as you stated. So what we called that is turnover intention. We asked individuals taking the survey if they had any intention to leave academia or any intent to turn over. So that was a question that they were asked. And then we also had a ton of questions asking about different things that were happening in their workplace climate, essentially how they're treated by their colleagues verbally or whether they're included in things by the people they're working with and administration, whether they have equal access to opportunity, pay, all of that kind of stuff. So when we get the results of all of those together and we're able to compare those things to one another... Something interesting that we actually saw, I actually did a presentation on this this summer at Midshore, if you attended Midshore, but something really interesting that we found was that Black academics did not have any increased intent to turnover, to leave academia, but they were still experiencing higher turnover rates. So even though they didn't want to leave academia, they were still leaving academia at increased rates compared to white and Asian academics. So what that told us was they really loved academia and didn't want to leave, but there were other forces at play driving them to leave. And those forces would be explained by negative workplace climate. So you're exactly on the nose there when you were talking about how we're able to compare those two. They have a direct link, and that's what we've been able to see through our survey. It's been really interesting. And it's really important to expose these disparities like that because otherwise, like if we didn't see that difference in intent to turnover, we might just assume that okay, maybe individuals from that culture or a certain group or background just wanted to leave academia, but no, we're able to see they want to be there. They're just having all of these other negative factors at play that are almost forcing them to leave. And we need to be able to expose that if we're ever going to be able to fix it. That was interesting to learn about there. That got me thinking a little bit about systematics. For example, in different experiments that we run in natural science, we take into account the different systematic uncertainties that play a role in our measurements so that way we can properly share these results with a certain degree of certainty. One systematic that I think could play a big role in your surveys is the role of power imbalance between different populations, between whether it's graduate students and faculty, as well as postdocs and faculty. How much of an impact do you think that made in your surveys, this power imbalance? 
So yeah, that power imbalance actually plays a really big role because as we all know, the farther that you get up in any field, whether it's academia or if you're working for a Fortune 500 company or something, the farther up that you get in that power chain, the more influence that you have, not only over others, but also for yourself. So something really important that a lot of people don't talk about enough, in my opinion, is the role of mentorship. So we all have mentors at every level, even assistant professors or full-fledged professors are still going to have mentors that are guiding them through their daily work and processes. And especially as undergrads now or graduate students, that role of mentorship is so important in forming your research experience, your schooling, and whether or not you're going to have a good experience with that, and eventually whether you're going to stay in academia or not. But mentorship plays such an important role in all of these things, and that's something that we were able to see in our survey as well. Because as I said, we're surveying people about experiences in their workplace climate, but we did that at three different levels. So we wanted to see how the climate was differing between their research group, which is the lab that they're working with every day, their department. So whether that's the biology department at Michigan State, for instance, or their field. So that would be biology overall at multiple different universities in the Midwest, etc. So that's a lot of different departments coming together. So we asked people about all of these different factors at play in these three different levels of academia. And what we saw is that oftentimes people were experiencing, for the most part, a really positive climate in their research group because those are often people that they pick to work with. But at the department and field levels, female early career scholars and racial minority early career scholars oftentimes experienced a lot harsher of a negative climate at department and field levels than men or white scholars did, for example. And we saw that that was another driving force that might be driving this underrepresentation and getting people to leave academia because they don't feel included at these levels. So that just reinforces that idea of the power dynamic at play there and how important mentorship is not only within your research group from your advisor, but also from administration in the department and other people that you work with but don't necessarily work under, like your other colleagues or general mentors in your field that you look up to. It's really important to us as human beings and as scientists to get the support from others and feel like we're included and our ideas are valued because if we don't feel that way, we're going to go leave and find somewhere else where we're getting that feeling. So like you just said, if people don't like where they're at, they can go somewhere else. That brings me to my next question, geographical regions. Did you notice in your survey that the answers changed based off of the geographical region that your survey participants were in? That actually isn't something we've analyzed yet. We are going to be analyzing that at a later point, but our survey was just conducted in June of this year. 
So we have this huge data set and we're trying to focus our energies on what we feel is most important to get out right away. And conveniently, something that we decided at the last minute was important for us to include in this survey was how the COVID-19 pandemic affected workplace climate and research productivity and um, climate at home as well for early career scientists. So after we got the results from our survey back at the end of this summer, we've really been working on trying to put out a couple of papers that are really focusing on this COVID impact here. So we are going to be analyzing the difference in geographical regions that we haven't really had time to get around to it yet, but I'd love to come back when we do and tell you our results on that. So that's an interesting segue to take this interview and not something that we've asked in a while for our interviews. Related to the COVID-19 pandemic, how do you think your results would have changed if you would have done your survey prior to the onset of this pandemic? So we've actually been able to analyze this change a little bit because some of these topics, areas of study that have been researched before by other scientists So these topics that we're investigating are problems that we knew existed in academia, but we weren't fully sure the extent to which they have. So we know that women are underrepresented in a lot of STEM fields. We know that racial minorities are underrepresented in a lot of STEM fields, but we weren't really sure exactly where all of these disparities lied at. And because of the COVID-19 pandemic, all of these disparities that were already present have just been exacerbated. So issues with women having reduced research productivity and not being treated fairly in the workplace climate and having increased caregiving responsibilities with children being home and not being able to go to school, having to do that online, or maybe having to care for their parents or other individuals in the home. A lot of those responsibilities tend to fall on women disproportionately over men. And actually, that same caregiving responsibility is experienced by Black mothers more so than any other combination of groups. So all of these issues that were already present in academia, where different groups are underrepresented and not treated the same, they've only been made worse by different factors from the COVID-19 pandemic. And something really interesting that we've been able to see is just how worse they've gotten in the last year. And I will be really interested to tell how long that these effects are going to last and ways that we can begin to curb them so that they don't last as long and we can begin going in the right direction again. I imagine that those who have multiple identities that are underrepresented face more hardships in academia. I'm curious, though, from your perspective, what are some of the most interesting facts and takeaways that you've seen from the survey? So we've had a lot of really interesting findings out of our study so far, but I think what's been most interesting to me is just seeing the intersectionality of how identifying in multiple of these groups really has such an impact on not only your research progress and your workplace climate, but also like your mental health, your physical health, and other sorts of factors that have a role in your work and your research, but aren't necessarily thought of right away as having such a large impact. 
So some things that we've seen with the COVID-19 pandemic are that women have not been publishing as many papers as men, and they've had worse mental health than men have experienced. And something that I've been really interested in learning more about is differences between um, first-generation college students' experiences as well, and also academics with disabilities. I myself am a first-generation college student, and I feel that experiences with first-gen students are not highly researched topic, but we do experience college differently than students whose parents were fortunate enough to be able to go to college. So we've been able to find some really interesting data on that, actually. I also have a real passion for working with individuals with disabilities and being able to investigate how having either a physical or emotional or mental disability impacts one's ability to be included by their peers and how that affects their work and desire to stay in academia has been really interesting just to get a quantitative and not qualitative effect of this. It's been some really interesting data that we're getting will be really essential for people to learn more about so that departments and universities can begin policy changes, not only in how they treat their faculty on paper, but also just being more empathetic and understanding to other individuals' experiences and how they can support their researchers best. In order to produce good science, people need to feel included and that their contributions are important and like what they're doing is worthwhile. Right now, the more minority groups that you are a part of in science, whether it's gender minorities, sexual preference, or racial minorities, having a disability, anything along those lines, the more groups that you're a part of, the more negative climate one tends to experience. So it's really important that we're giving everyone this support and making sure everyone feels equally represented and included so that we can start alleviating these disparities. So I guess that's been the most interesting part to me is getting actual numbers behind these phenomena that we've sensed in academia, but haven't necessarily been able to fully explain or give concrete reasons behind why certain things are happening. And all of that to say that anybody that disagrees that there are disparities in higher ed and academia can go ahead and read your paper to see the concrete evidence that your study has found. Thank you so much, Lexi, for joining us today again to talk to us about this other project that you're working on is just as impactful as the work you're doing on the electric fish. Good luck with the rest of your undergraduate career and really looking forward to seeing what you do in the future. Thank you so much for having me again. It's been a blast getting to talk about both of my research projects with you guys, and I've had a great time. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. To hear more about us and learn more about our episodes, check out scifiles.org. If you're a current MSU student that would like to be interviewed, please reach out to us at scifiles at impact89fm.org. We'll catch you next week on the Sci-Files, and remember, the truth is in the science.